Wolfpack. Welcome to Enoya. Thank you for tuning in. It's your host, Sable Danielle. And today we are joined by Michelle and Sherry, two mental health professionals. Hi, ladies. Hey. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to dive right into the top mental health topics to get some professional perspectives. So um, if you guys would like to introduce yourself. Go ahead first, Sherry. I'm Sherry Wick. Um, I am Sherry S. Wick, excuse me, uh, licensed clinical professional counselor, owner and founder of Holistically Divine Counseling, um, and also have a uh, wellness merchandise store, Moments of Mindfulness, and I'm so excited to be here. Excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle? My name is Michelle Owusu. I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor in Illinois, um, and I work as a therapist with Holistically Divine. I also do some online therapy. Um, I've been licensed for nearly 15, oh, 15 years now almost. Um, and I'm working on being duly licensed in California as well. Nice, nice, awesome. So you guys have been in the industry for a very long time, and I'm sure you have a lot, a lot to share with us. So let's jump right in. So um, whoever wants to go first, it doesn't matter. It's just conversation. So who, I'm sorry, (laughs) what made you choose the mental health field? Like, why is it important to you? Michelle, go. Okay. Um, I chose the mental health field a long time ago. Um, I feel like I was a kid and I knew that I wanted to get into this field before I even really knew what the field was, you know, because I just knew that I wanted to help people. I knew that I enjoyed talking and listening to people in particular, listening to people. Um, I knew that I had a knack for understanding people and like feeling people. Um, And so I knew that that's something that I wanted in my life. And so as I got older and needed to decide on a career, I knew that this was the right route because it was almost everything that I felt like I had strength in. And even Mm -hmm. more so than that, I felt like I could make a difference a little, at least a little bit. Um, so that's the main reason why I got into the field is being able to make a difference and allowing people to have space to work through their own stuff and just allowing that avenue to open up for people. I think I can piggyback on Michelle, you know, saying wanting to help people and listen and giving space. Um, I didn't know about mental health. Um, and I think we might touch on this later. Um, just culturally, we, I grew up in a family where we prayed about it and, you know, that was really it. You didn't really seek out. So I actually wanted to be a pediatrician. We had a family pediatrician that he was just amazing. So like he was my mom's pediatrician. He was her siblings pediatrician. It was really cool. And I just knew that I was going to be him. Um, and then my grades told me otherwise, Um, so I shifted, uh, went to the career development office, shifted and actually got into family consumer sciences, which would have led me down the social work path. Um, but fell in love with Benedictine university and fell in love with their program and what they were talking about in their program, like what you can do. 
Um, but this idea of um, like wanting to help people when I was younger, absolutely only child um, by my mom. So I was always in adult spaces. And so I would just be listening to everything, um, watching body language, trying to understand as they were trying to um, say things without saying things, just concerned about me. Um, so definitely felt comfortable in that space, definitely felt comfortable in listening and supporting um, and helping um, until understanding what that really looks like. Uh, it looks different, right? This, this mm -hmm. term helping, uh, we do so much more deeper, amazing work. So um, full, full circle, I guess. <laughs> well, I think it's amazing because helping people, of course, which is why I'm here. And I think that mental health isn't talked about enough. Like you said, you, you both didn't even know what it was when you entered the field. And I love that it's grown and people are trying to take it more serious. It's becoming more, people are becoming more aware of it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Sherry, you mentioned two things. So I guess, what what are some things that you guys do that people may not be aware of because you mentioned that you do so much more than just help what is is it that you do Ooh, we going in i'm excited okay um so i would say um the 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 doing from what i believe at least i know i do um is um, ensuring that the space that this therapeutic space that the client and myself are in is safe. That's the first and foremost. We, we, we can't move. We can't talk through anything if the space isn't safe. So really um, observing the client and um, understanding their body language. So being very mindful of, of how they respond to things, uh, what that looks like, what that sounds like for them, what they're experiencing, which would be rapport building. I would say that's the first biggest, um, mo most influential piece to this work is building the rapport. If we we don't have a rapport, and I mean a safe, secure rapport, and of course it happens over time, um, but I think that's the first biggest thing. I think oftentimes people think that there's still the stereotype of, oh, you sit on the couch and we psychoanalyze, um, and that's 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 not it at all. So, Michelle, what would you add? Yeah, adding to that, I think like you were saying, the the stereotype of sitting on the couch is also the stereotype that a therapist's role is to provide advice and yes. tell you what to do. So clients come to you so that you can tell them what they need to do with their lives. Yep. But as Sherry said before, it's far deeper than that. So she's talking about creating a safe space. And the reason to create that safe space is so that a, a client can be open to start processing their the in, inner depths of themselves so yeah. they can start working through yeah. their experiences we just kind of help them open up the path you know mm -hmm. by asking questions challenging them maybe providing some coping skills or things to think about things to consider but really the prime primary work is done by the client and mm -hmm. oftentimes clients don't recognize that it's their work that mm -hmm. it's really not us. We're just kind of providing this foundation to help them be able to work through so that the doors can open on their own, so that the light bulbs can go off on their own. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. 
I think that that's really crucial. And I love that you both use the term safe because I, there's it doesn't seem like there may be enough safe spaces to actually talk about those things. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't even really feel safe within themselves. So mm -hmm. it's that you all are able to provide that space for people to um, dig deeper and explore and cope with the things that are harder for most people to cope with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, are there any other stigmas that you feel like you would like to talk about or maybe shed light on? Well, one of the biggest stigmas that comes to my mind is Sherry was talking about culturally the viewpoint on mental health. And I think that a strong stigma has been that therapy is only for the weak. Mm -hmm. like or crazy if you go to therapy and um that's so far so far from the truth you actually have to be incredibly strong mm -hmm. to go to therapy and incredibly resilient to be able to take accountability and look within yourself and dig through the darkness that's hard that's much harder than just kind of being blind to it and ignoring it and walking around you know, really being open to going there with ourselves is really difficult. So you have to you have to kind of be a strong person to do that. So that stigma of feeling like you're you're weak. Everybody needs assistance. We all need support in some way, shape, or form, and we can't always just get it organically. Sometimes we have to really intentionally create the space to do that. Mm -hmm. There is a space to do that. Oh yeah. The, I think just to add just something, I mean, that was, that's huge. Um, it's a, I think for many people, they might think that there's going to be judgment and mm -hmm. we literally are trained to ensure that we're not coming in with our own judgment, our own beliefs, and then telling the clients, um, but really a judge-free zone. Um, as Michelle was saying earlier, we ask questions, we challenge, we probe, but it's all based on what the client is saying. It has nothing to do with what we're saying. They're giving us the information. We're just trying to help them understand it for themselves a little bit deeper. Um, but that 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 the stigma is huge. I would I would also add maybe the expense. Um, there are people out there, organizations out there that are offering you know sliding scale, which means they base it off of their income or free. Um, um, counseling services and it's quality counseling services. Um, and so it's just asking those questions saying, you know, as a client is calling, Hey, do you offer sliding scale? Do you offer free? Um, because at one point in time back then, um, it was, you know, really hard to access, but now more and more people are, are re realizing, Hey, we have to do better because everybody, just like Michelle said, everyone needs some type of support and a supportive space. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love that you touched on all of those different topics. And I think that it's another thing to talk about is that it's not a last resort. <laughs> I think people feel like, um, you know, trying to do everything themselves and it's a last resort, whether it's with themselves or relationship. And for me, I feel like if I would have gotten therapy sooner then maybe I would have had an easier time changing, you know, my perspectives and mm -hmm. things. That's huge. That is huge. And that's our society, though. If like if you think about it, we are very much a what's the word? We're not a preventative society. Mm -mm. We handle everything after. 
Um, and it's like almost a lot of the harm, I'll use that word, has already been done and it's coming back to undo all those things. So starting there first, and it's just to just say, hey, here are some of my thoughts and sometimes they're confusing or sometimes my behaviors don't line up with my beliefs or what I value. Can we just talk through them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk through them before you you know, maybe go into a field that you are truly unhappy about, but your family has told you, you have to go into this field. Or maybe you're dating someone and you're like, oh, this is hitting some things inside of me that I've never felt before, just before there's a blow up or escalation or you're feeling isolated alone. I love the idea of starting something first. Now I'm very biased because I'm in the field, but... (laughs) Yeah, you know, to piggyback off of that, I was just thinking too, we're talking about stigma also before. I think a big reason why our culture, our society isn't focused on preventative, especially when it comes to mental health, is people aren't really even allowed to have feelings. Like we're not even allowed to, to express ourselves and feel emotion. So if you feel emotion that's anything other than happy or excited, there's something wrong with you. So then people are fearful of expressing that they have other feelings or emotions going on. So then they try to hide it because they don't want other people to judge them for having these true human emotions that every single person that walks the earth has. But we all walk around like, this is me. Nobody's going to talk to me if I, they know that I'm afraid or that I have anxiety or if I'm depressed. Um, And I think that, falls right into that as well. That's huge. And and the idea that anger is now norm, normalized and the main emotion, right? Like and it's it's sexualized too. If you think about it like anger is sexy. You watch yeah. a movie and they they're angry and then they have, you know, they make out and have hot sex and right. it's just this great thing rather than understanding, hey, there were a lot of under, other emotions that we could have processed through first. Um, before we even got to anger. And maybe you absolutely need anger, right? Well, we do, right? But maybe you absolutely needed to be in that space. Mm -hmm. But there are a ton of other emotions that we can process through. But this idea that you're not allowed to. Michelle, Mm -hmm. hit it. Yeah. You're not allowed to. Very true. And that's a huge part of what I like to talk about. I think, I feel like everyone throws around the term normalize, but I truly would like us to normalize that emotions are a natural state. We have them for a reason. We are supposed to use them as triggers, like they alert us for things. And I always forget the name of this movie, but there's a Disney movie. Uh, you guys, you Yes, are- Inside Out. It's my favorite. Out. I yep. Yep. Inside Out. Okay. It has so many gems and great pieces of knowledge to take away from that. And so, yes, emotions are huge. Feel them, get stuck in them, feel them to learn from them. (laughs) You know, another movie, Sable, um, it doesn't, it, it's not toned in on as Inside Out, but Up, Up, um, another one is really good in that talking through or processing through grief um, or a loss or something like that. I love, I love those movies. And actually mm-hmm. it's because of interning at Michelle's, um, uh, family counseling services. Michelle was my supervisor and we used movies in our, uh, domestic violence, um, groups where mm-hmm. we were like walking through and talking through how 
um, our clients understood what was going on. So I, I, I love movies and connecting them. Mm-hmm. Yes. The impact. And also brought up a good point um, that I didn't really think about from this perspective, how you said that uh, anger is just everywhere. It's like the first emotion and then it's also over-sexualized. And it, like, I never really took a step back <laughs> to think about it. It is, it is often what they throw at your face, um, mm-hmm. whether it's on TV or social media, which is yes. entertainment, you know? So I'm glad that you made that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think, why do you think culturally it's hard for um, melanated people um, to go deeper and be open to mental health or therapy or not even melanated, just anyone who feels like, I don't know, just really, really struggles with it just culturally, I guess. Well, I think one piece of it, um, especially for melanated people and possibly others, is when we go way back in history, I feel like we were in a state of survival for so like life is about survival. There's no time to feel sad. There's no time to be anxious. You ha- otherwise you might die. Yeah. If yeah. you hesitate because of your emotions, mm-hmm. you might not survive. So this focus on survival and being strong to survive stayed there. And so yeah. then it's like if you have these feelings of fear or anxiety or something, you're the weak link because if we spend time on that, we may not make it. And I think that undercurrent has Mm -hmm. kind of traveled with us. Oh yeah. Yep. I would. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, that's real. That's the truth. And um, it's, 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 it's the it's our reality. It is our reality, um, and this idea of um, allowing just to sit in any other emotions, you yeah, you might die. Um, you might die. I like I like the point that you made earlier about um, having to be strong and really resilient to mm-hmm. be or be open to talk about mental health because. I like you said, you're looked at as the weak link by talking about these things or noticing these things. But if you actually take a step back to and give time to that time and um, energy to it, then it has more benefits than it does anything. You'll actually see how strong you truly are or you can be if you allow yourself to see that in you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some benefits of therapy? Oh, we only got an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. <laughs> mm. Go ahead, Sherry. You start. Um, I would say, and uh, I would say, being mindful that we only have an hour and a half. Um, the first thing I think of would be um, this: the our thought patterns, our thoughts, and then our our behaviors, and of course our emotions. But the first thing I think of because it takes a while. Um, let me not say it takes a while, but it there's more time to be spent on helping folks who have really truly just said, I can't be angry, I can't be sad, I can't be whatever vulnerable. Um, it takes a little bit more time to help them understand, yes, actually you can. So the thoughts first, helping folks shift their thoughts from 
uh, healthier thoughts, thoughts that support whatever they're coming into therapy for. Um, and then that then changes their behavior. Um, so it could be something um, more uh, smaller, but very impactful of uh, being intentional, say in the morning, right? A lot of people you know, really that I've worked with really want to utilize their morning or evening to just check in and, and see what their day was like. But because we, at one point in time, we were, we were in a go, 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 go society, there was never any time for that. So I think first, um, this idea of checking in with self, um, the thoughts changing, behaviors changing. Um, I think another piece is um, believing in themselves, clients really coming from a space of just not believing in themselves, not loving themselves, um, not caring for themselves, uh, removing the comparison. There's so many, go ahead, Michelle, tag team in, go. <laughs> go. <laughs> um, one of the things that I was thinking about too is the idea of even recognizing what is going on internally because sometimes we have a feeling, a, a visceral feeling that something's not right, but it's hard sometimes for a person to recognize what is not right. And it mm -hmm. takes the time of starting to talk through it for them to go, oh, this is where this stems from, or this is why I'm feeling this way, or I've adopted this pattern of behavior or thinking mm -hmm that I didn't know was impacting me this way. Mm -hmm. So even just being able to start to recognize what mm -hmm. those things are that we need to address. Also, I think um, so many people, far more than we could even imagine, have experienced so much trauma and mm -hmm. difficulty mm -hmm. in their past. And because we come from this space of just deal with it, move on, we mm -hmm. don't recognize how much burden that trauma has carried with us. And so therapy allows a person to kind of work through what that trauma was and no longer allow that trauma to control who they are today. Mm -hmm. um, and just opening up the pathways for that, I think um, is a huge benefit, just mm -hmm. the space to be able to process whatever we're internalizing and being able to take accountability recognizing that those feelings don't have control over us, that we do have some accountability and being able to be more in control so that we can feel better. Um, yeah, the list can go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys, well, you both hit so many things on the head for me and two things. Um, you were mentioning that, I'm sorry, I'm just drawing a blank. What was the last thing you, that you just said, Mish? Um, the trauma and not being able to recognize the internal. Yeah, yeah, we soak up, we soak up so many things. So when you mentioned trauma, it's like from childhood on, it's not necessarily just from family or just from, you know, one thing. It's from everything that you've been impacted by from childhood, family, friends, school, job, the random person on the street that looked at you the wrong way. And, you, you know, all of those things. Social um, media. So, so, so yeah, mm -hmm. and all of those things control us until you are like, wait a minute, that's, uh, thought? that's not, you know, so I was trying to bring back both of those points that you mentioned. I think they're very important for people to know, like you have more control over your mind than you think you just have to pause. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And all of that, I typically say we have been carrying around since birth, this imaginary book bag. So all of those things, everything we've experienced is in our book bag. And then it begins to get really heavy. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to smell. And then it starts to impact our behavior and our thoughts. And now we're like, what is going on? If we only knew, if we only knew yep. that we can look at something and process it and say, is that mine? Nope, mm-hmm. actually, that's not mine. That's my grandmother's grandmother's behavior that ended up being passed on or, mm-hmm. or that, that social media post that, oh, really triggered me, but it's not about me. Mm-hmm. If we only had the skills to prevent yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's not about me. I love that. It took me a long time to realize that it's not always about me. That person's reaction or response mm-hmm. is because of something they've got going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned grief earlier, too. So do either of you have any advice for people dealing with grief, tips to kind of overcome grief or if you are feeling kind of lost, you know, in a sunken place? Mm-hmm. We, um, I, my understanding is that we actually don't overcome it, overcome grief. We move through it. Um, and that will be the first thing is many people think, oh, I'm going to get over it. Um, and right then it, you're not getting over it. You're moving through it. And maybe, um, year, year one of, of that loss or whatever that is, and grief could be anything, um, Maybe year one is extremely tough and then year five is extremely tough. The years in between weren't as tough, but it's still there. Um, I I believe, I hope, I hope um, there's going to be more research that's coming out and there's a little bit, but not enough on us grieving COVID. We, we, we were, our lives were altered. So we're, we, we would want to or really need to grieve the life that we thought we had, the life that we had, that we thought we had, and then whatever this life is going to look like now. But grief, um, and it sneaks up on you sometimes. You might be having this really lifted, empowered, joyful day, and all of a sudden, a few hours later, you're like, you know, um, wondering what's going on. What are all these emotions? Um, it's grief, probably, because maybe something you didn't even recognize connected you with that thing that you're you're mourning or you're grieving. Yeah, yeah. To piggyback off of that, I I read a quote uh, at one point. What Sherry was talking about about grief, you just kind of manage through it, and you're working through it. Kind of described it as like swimming swimming in the ocean, there are times when the water is calm. Mm -hmm. You still have to work to get through it, but it's calmer, it's easier, you get through it. Then sometimes the waves hit, sometimes the waves hit hard. Sometimes there's a storm, (laughs) you know, but it comes and goes. We -hmm. don't know when the waves are coming. We don't know when the storms are coming. Um, But as long as we're able to recognize that, that can help give a little bit of peace, at least knowing that like what you're experiencing is normal. Yeah. You know? Um, So I think that that piece that you were talking about is really huge. And I think as far as advice or tips, own it. I think that's the thing. It's not trying to push away or avoid it, 
allow ourselves to feel the feelings of grief whatever it is we lost we lost something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's painful Mm -hmm. and it's hurtful and it's Mm -hmm. hard even if we can see a silver lining that's still hard (laughs) right Right. just being able to recognize that it's hard and that it's okay to go Mm -hmm. through grief I think that's the biggest thing versus Mm -hmm. trying to feel like because I've seen family members um, you know, of people who've had a loss that try to push them through it. You're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You just got to keep moving on through life. Um, Mm. That doesn't help. Mm -mm. It might help you avoid for a moment and give you some temporary feelings of not having to feel it, but it's going to come crashing back at some point and maybe even harder if we ignore it. So just being able to allow ourselves to sit in those feelings and allow them Mm -hmm. to come through rather than Mm -hmm. fighting Mm-hmm. And, and to piggyback what Michelle just said, after that, after you've allowed it and, and sat with it, then ask what you need from a friend, a family member, your therapist, or your coach, or whomever, whomever you trust, just being able to say, you know what, I, I need this, or I need some space, or I, I don't know, but just communicating then um, if 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 there is something that you need, sometimes it is just sitting with it um, and being present with self. Um, and then sometimes you might need something else. You know, it's okay to ask. Um, and you're asking those who you know love you and care for you and support you. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you think? I mean, I know everyone is different. Grief is different for everyone, um, and there's no set time for anything. But it, it can also be easy to get stuck, uh, like to cross the line from grief to like depression at, at times, maybe. So, do you have like a t- suggested time frame to kind of check back in with self to be like, are you taking care of you? Like, it's okay to feel, but are you taking care of you? Or, I don't know. I would say depression is in the grief cycle. Um, and when it comes up, um, it, because we we never know when I, I I just like the idea of checking in with self every day. Um, if if we're operating from this imaginary book bag, no one has ever gone through that imaginary book bag from birth until whatever age they are at that point. So something in there is impacting them. Um, and so just this idea of I'm already I have this, and so I also have just what today is. So let me just see how. How I, how I am. So I like the idea of this is what I tell my clients and I do for myself. When I wake up in the morning before my feet hit the floor, I ask myself, how did I arrive? Right. So like, what, what, what am I feeling in my body? What am I thinking about anything carrying over from dreams or the day before? Um, and then trying to get it out, whether you record it on your phone, record it in a journal, whatever, because guess what? that will also probably impact your day. And it could be whatever it is. If it's grief, really allowing yourself to just say, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm not feeling well, I'm feeling whatever you're feeling. Um, and then figuring out what, what you need after that. Maybe you need to eat breakfast now, even though you normally eat breakfast you know, into when you go into work, but now you're needing breakfast because you need more time. Um, really pivoting to honor, that would be the tip. Pivot to honor what you need. Because oftentimes we just keep going. Oh, well, I feel this way, but it's fine. It'll blow over. No, you don't have to do that to yourself. You don't, you know. 
Yep. I agree with everything Sherry said. I don't think there's a timeline at all. The only timeline is a daily check-in, a regular check-in, being aware of your body's frequency and knowing where you're at on a day-to-day basis. There are certain days where you are operating at a higher frequency or a lower frequency and knowing what I need on those days every day. Every day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might be checking in a couple of times. We get hit with so much. We get hit with so much. We, we have to, we, we have to, if we want to talk about survival, that's surviving, that's understanding what's going on with us, with all this information we're, we're getting hit with. Yep. Exactly. Nice. I, those are all tips that I think everyone can use every single day. And honestly, I wasn't even, you guys said it way more often than I was thinking. I was thinking you were going to say every couple of days, you know, allow yourself to feel, you said, no, check in every day, (laughs) check in every day, (laughs) which I love. Um, And since we're already on the heavier topics a little bit, um, moving into depression, that's, we can go a lot of ways with that. So what tips would you give to people from the outside, allowing, allowing their loved ones to grieve? Um, like things to look for to make sure that their loved ones are okay while they're grieving. Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, if we're talking about a loved one, we typically have an, an idea of how that person operates on a day-to-day basis. We have an idea of what their face looks like, what their eyes look like, you know, at certain times. And so when you see a change in what's behind their eyes, if you notice that they're not as excited about things that they tend to be usually are excited about, if they're typically someone who's regimented and more scheduled and they seem to be off their schedule, mm-hmm. like just really taking notice of that person as a whole. And if you see them operating in a way that's atypical, even if it's just something small, but you start to see a, a pattern, I'm not talking about just one day because everybody has an off day, yeah. but if you're yeah. noticing that there's a pattern, you know, they're not this is a a bigger thing, but like not taking care of their hygiene, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're not showering every day and they usually shower every day Mm -hmm. or putting on makeup or doing their hair. Those are things that you can really see, but even just in the way that they talk to you, they're not sharing the same things that they would. Their voice inflection is different. Just those kinds of things can help you identify that there's, Hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. giving them the space to let them know, not forcing them to talk, but just say, hey, I've noticed that you've been a little different lately. And I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. Whatever you need, let me know. So there's no pressure and like, what's going on? What's wrong? Yeah. Because yeah. that that can yeah. shut a person down. But like, mm-hmm. hey, I noticed that something's off or something's different. And I'm, I'm here for you. Let mm-hmm. me know what I can do. Mm-hmm. You know, Something as simple as that can be helpful. And I love that, that gathering, right? Like you're observing it, Michelle, as you were describing that you're observing what's going on, you're taking note and then you're, you're responding to it in in a very loving and supportive way. I, I, the past few weeks I've noticed, right. And that doesn't even have to be face-to-face because they might not be able to talk 
things out right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's in a, um, maybe it's in an email or maybe it's in a note, right? In a, in a notebook that you can just leave out for them to sit with that. Um, But just that piece of showing up and just showing the behaviors Mm -hmm. and not what we, we are assuming, Mm -hmm. but just behaviors um, and focusing in on that. Yeah. Those are all great, great helpful tips um, because I think it's, it's, those are the easy things to recognize, but they're also easy things to kind of let fly by if you're not really paying attention. Yep. Um, and so, or, I, or oh, sorry, I was just going to say not paying attention, or sometimes people are afraid. They're yeah. nervous. They notice that something's off, but it's like, I don't want to interfere. I don't want to overstep my bounds. I don't really know how they're going to react. So let me just leave it. You know, that I'm sure they'll get through it on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's a huge thing too, instead of recognizing, again, accepting that it's okay, that this person might not be okay mm-hmm. and not being afraid to be there. That doesn't mean you have to, to help them and, you know, do the work for them. It's just letting them know that you're there. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you have anything else to add in, Sherry? I, I really just really liked the, you don't have to do the work for them. So since we're a society that we are not, not I don't want to generalize, but oftentimes we see a problem, we just want to fix it right away. Mm-hmm. Whether that's suppress it or we just want to get rid of it. And so this idea of just, just noticing the behavior and saying that could be the game changer. Not noticing behavior, saying it, and then saying, okay, now what do we need to do to make you feel better? Because it's really... I want to feel better because I'm uncomfortable, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not about it's not about me, right? It's about the person. Yeah. And then I think from the other perspective, like just noticing it already could be a lot for that person. So noticing it and then adding on, adding on question after question, like trying to help, but not really help. Like, okay, slow your roll. Like now right. I'm leaving. I'm not running. <laughs> um, yes. And then so... How would you approach this kind of a different topic kind of goes together, but you mentioned difficult, I'm sorry, not really knowing how to approach someone because you're nervous. So what are some tips to approach difficult conversations, whether it's with that or like boundary setting or anything? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Sherry, you start. I love, thanks for the show. I, I love this question because I think it was something that like clicked for me just throughout my just living. Um, we don't always have to talk verbally. I know, right? Like, duh. But seriously, mm-hmm. we we don't have to. We can do it through writing in any way. We can do it through art, right? Just giving room to say to to get out everything and then being able to talk it through, right? So this idea of I may be experiencing something, but I don't actually have the words, but I can, I can draw it out. I can draw it out. And then that's the picture I have. And now I can talk to whomever I need to talk to about what I just drew. Right. Or maybe there's a song that really connects with how you're feeling and what's going on. And you're able to share that song with whomever. I just love the idea of doing whatever you need to do in the healthiest way to get out what you want to say. Um, and you talk about boundaries. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. 
I'm going to actually go ahead and drop that over to Michelle. But <laughs> that piece of, of sharing something does not always have to be verbal until you're ready to actually say it with your mouth. Yeah, I think that's really key because what that allows you to do is be more intentional with what it is you want to communicate because you start identifying what it is you actually want to communicate versus just reactionary response versus intentional. You know, I always say act versus react. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really huge. So then once you get to the point where you're able to figure out what it is you want to communicate, I think it's important to recognize that where you stand and what you want to communicate is just as important as the other person's feelings. Because I think oftentimes Mm -hmm. we choose not to set boundaries or share how we feel. We don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. I don't Mm -hmm. want them to feel bad. I don't want them to be upset with me. So I'll just take it on. But then here we are sacrificing ourselves and our own well-being and our own needs for the sake of someone else's. Mm -hmm. When I could communicate in a clear, concise, and understanding way, mm-hmm. you know, expressing how you feel, you're not criticizing, staying away from criticizing, staying away from defensiveness, just being clear and honest with what it is that you're needing or what it is that the person is doing that you can no longer accept mm-hmm. or that's no longer working for you. Mm-hmm. And that person's response is their responsibility. Yeah. As long yeah. as you have done your own work and you've communicated in that way, um, the rest is on them to be Mm -hmm. able to listen. And I think oftentimes we internalize that like, oh, they're upset with me. I said it wrong Mm -hmm. or I didn't do it the right way. But Mm -hmm. if we can sit with ourselves and recognize, okay, I went through all the steps. I I did it the best way that I could. And now I have to leave it to them. I communicated what I needed. And now I'm going to take my action steps, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. take care of myself. Yep, yep. Yep. I'm glad that you said that because my next question was going to be, well, what about when you are direct, but you feel like the person you're speaking to has a hard time receiving you, you know, being direct. <laughs> um, of course, not direct in a rude way, but like you said, in a respectful way. So we have to honor that they get to respond the way in a healthy way for them that they as long as you are not being harmed or, yeah, you know, anything that's unhealthy they they have feelings, they have emotions, they have their thoughts. And so giving room for them to feel all those things. And then what, what is beautiful is you may have just taught them how to communicate in a healthy way or how to set boundaries, but we have to stop robbing people of their emotions. I don't want them to feel bad. Sure. Sure. You don't, right. Cause you're a human and you care, but it's okay if they feel other feelings besides happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Going back to what we started with, Michelle was saying all of these emotions that for some reason we are not allowed to feel. So giving room for that. And even if you're noticing it, if you are in a space where you're noticing like the body language shift, wow, like what I just said really shifted your body. I mean, that might have been a therapy response, a therapeutic response, but still noticing. Um, it feels amazing when we're seeing. It feels amazing when we know that, oh man, like that person knows that I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling some things, but they're giving me room to work through it rather than, I'm not going to say this because I don't want you to feel bad because you're not supposed to feel these emotions. It's just too much. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. It, like, is. it seems like sometimes people don't 
whether it's the person with baggage, it's like, oh, well, I don't want to approach this person because I don't want to be a burden on them. And then the other, it's like, nobody wants to be a burden. And so we're all just being a burden to ourselves. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, to kind of piggyback on what Sherry said, as far as like allowing people to have their feelings. So let's say I have just done this work of like figuring out what I want to communicate. I do the best that I can. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So we have to honor that. Like it takes a lot of courage. I finally said what I said. And now this person is coming at me with all of their fiery, intense emotions. Mm -hmm. That is hard Mm -hmm. because you just allowed yourself to be vulnerable because it's a vulnerable thing to share your feelings and your needs. Now this person's coming at us. So we have to take a breath and say, this is not about me. They are allowed, like Sherry said, to have their feelings or their responses. So let me sit back and rather than becoming defensive or internalizing it, let me just sit back and hear what they have to say. Mm -hmm. And I can say, you know, I understand that that was a really upsetting to you. Recognize, validate their feelings. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take away what you stated. Yep. It just lets them know. I understand that you're upset by me setting this boundary. And hopefully we can figure out a way to make this work for both of us, Mm -hmm. because I do have to stand true to my boundaries, but I also care about you, especially if it's someone that we care about, you know, so being able to do that. And then just like Sherry said, now we're modeling Mm -hmm. for that. Usually that helps someone deescalate a little bit because they realize they're not in a competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not fighting to be heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the end goal? I'm not trying to attack you. Like we're trying to understand each other, (laughs) not one up each other either. Like you said, it's not a competition. Um, But also you triggered another question for me. So what if you're in this position where you express yourself and the other person is, you know, they're triggered. So their response isn't the best. And you are trying to disengage because you realize it's not going anywhere, but they're not really letting you disengage. Like, how do you kind of escape a scenario like that? I don't like the word letting me because I am in charge of myself, right? And I know what you're saying because it feels like that, you know, especially if we're in the same physical space. This person's not letting me disengage at some point. If we have realized that this is no longer a safe space for me to be in, I have to make the decision to physically disengage. I get up and I leave. Now, obviously, when we're talking about, like, I'm thinking about domestic violence, because obviously I did a lot of domestic violence work in the past. That's that's a whole nother topic (laughs) because that's different. But Mm -hmm. if we're with a person that we tend to feel safe with, but we're Mm -hmm. just feeling like it's an upheaval and things aren't going well. We know that there's no coming down from it. Being mm-hmm. able to say, hey, we can talk about this later. We mm-hmm. both need time and space to calm down because I don't want to hurt you and I don't mm-hmm. want you to hurt me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. You don't have to wait for a response. <laughs> yeah. Keep going back and forth. Cause that's the thing. We like want to settle with them. Mm-hmm. So like almost like they're going to give us permission to leave. We don't mm-hmm. need their permission to leave. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. just to being able to make that decision and go. Now, of course, everything that we're saying, Sable, is so much easier said than done. Yes. Right? yes. In the moment, it's hard work. It's difficult. It takes a lot of practice, mm-hmm. but we all can get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, did yeah. you have anything to add? No, that's, yep. Yep. 
Can I pick your brain a little bit farther um, since you separated the domestic violence and then the non-domestic violence? For people who are experiencing domestic violence or have, um, I know that we could go forever with that, but some quick steps or some things that you would like to give to them, advice that you would like to give to them. Hmm. Seek out support. Yeah. That, yeah. That's like one of the biggest keys because yeah. oftentimes when people are in a domestic violence situation, they don't recognize that they're not the only one. They don't recognize that there's actually help and assistance there to help to help them work through the logistics of what that means and the severity of their situation. And obviously domestic violence is a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's so many different dynamics that could be going on, but just reaching out for support in some way, shape or form, I think is huge. Recognize that you are not in a safe space. Like so a lot of times you real, realize that things don't necessarily feel right, but if you're not being abused 100%, I don't even want to say 100%, um, I'm going to take all that back because it's very sensitive. Uh, sensitive. How do you, if you don't recognize that you're in a, a space that's worse than what you think, I guess, how, mm -hmm. what would you give, what would you say to those folks? Or what are signs to look for in, in regards to awareness? The I, I think the key is recognizing that you're feeling just something different mm -hmm. uh, and it's making you feel uh, concerned. You're questioning things. Uh, there may be fear there of safety, even even just a, a one moment. Um, and again, we're we're a uh, reactionary society. But if if you if we allow ourselves to really say, okay, something's different, and I don't like it, I'm not liking this. Um, that seeking out support again. This is such a huge topic, very sensitive. But any anything, and 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 when Michelle was talking about reaching out support, calling organizations, hotlines, and just saying these things. So as experts can share and ask more questions to get a bit more of an understanding to guide. Um, and I also just wanted to say in reaching out for support, all, all websites, all so if you're online on the computer, your phone or anything, there's always um, a, a button that you can click click, excuse me, that can shut everything down. So it doesn't show what you've been looking up because that's another piece to it, right? Keeping yourself safe from whoever's harming you um, in any way, shape or form, mentally, emotionally, physically, uh, uh, spiritually, financially, all of those things. Um, there's always a way to not show that you're looking up this information. But when you're calling, you know, um, folks on hotlines understand that you can now start saying different things like, Sable, you and I are talking, I'm telling you all these things, I'm the client. And then all of a sudden the person that is harming me or the people that are harming me just came in the room. Now I can talk to you in a different way, right? So they don't recognize that I'm I'm, I'm reaching out. Um, that, that just getting that information out there so people know you can reach out and there's ways to keep you still safe. Yeah, and piggybacking off of what Sherry was saying, she was saying like any type of abuse, I think that is so key because oftentimes people believe that physical abuse is the only type of domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. um, 
when we're talking about safety, we're talking about all different ways. You can be in a domestic violence relationship that does not include any physical abuse at all. Um, there's so many, I mean, mental and emotional abuse are even more significant mm -hmm. than physical abuse because physical abuse does not come without emotional right. or mental. Mm -hmm. And so being able to recognize that just because I'm not being physically hurt doesn't mean I'm still not being hurt mm -hmm. by this mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you said that there's another in a later episode there's a I have a person on there who was in a domestic violence situation and she also mentioned financial abuse a lot of people I mean maybe don't think about that as abuse either um, so that's another form oh yeah uh, and I also love that you both mentioned that you're not alone. I think a big piece and whether it's domestic violence or even just owning your emotions, the dark space that you're feeling in is you're not alone. Every single human in the world has felt alone and we all have these same emotions. So we are never alone. We always have a resource or someone to reach out to who will understand. Mm -hmm. And I think um, also when it comes to domestic violence, from what I've seen with my clients, there's a very big sense of shame that comes along being in a domestic violence relationship. And for that reason, oftentimes people don't reach out or they don't try to leave because they don't want people to know that they're experiencing this because in some way it's their fault. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, people are going to be upset with them or judge them for staying in this relationship. And mm -hmm. so that idea of recognizing that I'm, I'm not alone and that people can get sucked in to those kinds of relationships very easily, yeah. very easily. Yeah. Yes. It's very easy to get sucked in. So like people shouldn't point fingers and be like, oh, that could never be me because it could very easily be, <laughs> if you've never experienced something, it could very much be just like that. Um, so yeah, and Michelle, you mentioned a few times the word intentional. So my favorite word. Mm -hmm. Mine too. Why is it your favorite word? How does living intentional impact someone's life, their mental health? It's so easy to just let life pass us by, yep. right? We, we go through the rigmarole of every day, day in and day out. We have a schedule. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then all of a sudden, all this time passes. Um, if we're not intentional with our day, we're not able to experience joy in the same ways. We're not able to connect with ourselves in the same way. And if we're not able to connect with ourselves, then that means that we're oftentimes not taking care of ourselves in the way that we need to. Um, our focus is just distributed in all these other areas that aren't assisting us personally. And so oftentimes, especially as women or, you know, you have a family, you put all your focus into taking care of your kids, but you're not intentionally focusing on yourself. And even with our kids, sometimes it's like, it's a job. I got to get up. I got to make their, their lunches and get them breakfast. And we're going through the motions, but like, are you intentionally connecting with them? Are you intentionally seeing how they're growing up and reflecting on that? Are you intentionally taking care of yourself so that you can be a good um, influence in their lives so that you can be a good model for them to look at, you know, so intention is everything. It is everything. It's everything. It is everything. The, the way I like to, 
I like to share with people about intentionality. It's I ask, what is your thing that you enjoy doing? So maybe it's a movie, right? Or maybe it's a song. 